Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. My name is Bilal and we are joined today by Patrick and Tom Quake who couldn't be here today because it's his anniversary so let's actually wish him a happy anniversary at the time of recording. But we've also got a very special guest who will introduce himself in just a moment. I will give them a little introduction actually because I feel like I should. But before we get over to that, um, Patrick, Tom, how are you both doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just... uh yeah appreciating the the sunny weather today i got my bike fixed this week as well so back on the roads we were talking about bikes literally just yeah, now but yeah. i was gonna bring it up but um yeah yeah it's nice to have my bike back just um nice thing to like just keep fitting that so I, yesterday no friday on my lunch break i went for a cycle and i thought oh, a quick cycle ended up doing 10k so i'm thinking oh, okay i'll nice. just keep this wow. up nice i'll be in wow. good shape for for june 21st of June, you know, and things oh, yeah. when we come out of our caves. So, uh, Outside yeah. is open June 21st, yeah, I tell man. you. Well, I will be years. back. I will be back on June 21st. <laughs> You're going to be back? You're going to touch down, yeah? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm going to touch the, the weather spoons when I'm back, you know, of course. <laughs> yeah. of course Tom is literally coming back just to go to spoons. No. Um, yeah, that's basically why I'm coming back. You know, there are some small other things as well, like maybe just saying hello to my mum, but the main thing is just going to... <laughs> that's <laughs> small. <laughs> um... No, I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, the weather over here is actually really, really good. We have like, obviously, Geneva's a kind of a lot more south than than mm. London is. So sometimes we get that kind of summer Riviera weather, and it's coming back. So I drove, a, you know, did a lot of driving yesterday. Went to this place, place called the Blue Lake. It's like the bluest lake you've ever been to. It's mad. It's like you look into it, just deep blue. I was just like. And it's very relaxing just to walk around, drive around. And I was just driving. There's like a couple gonna, of nice lakes there. I was going to ask, is it the same kind of hue of blue as um as uh, the do-rag that our guest is wearing? I don't want to drop the nail. I was about to drop the nail. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, do you know what? There are parts of the lake that has that, that element of blue. That yeah, because that's... that's guest. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've seen it. Deep blue. Actually, the way it is right now, I can see him on the, uh, I see him on the screen, right? That kind of that's the blue to, to, to the right where it was a bit darker. That is kind of the deep blue that you get. It's mad because it's like loads of mountains. You're just surrounded by mountains, and it's like it's just wonderful. It's so relaxing. So it's a beautiful color blue. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, it's such I, a love, nice blue. I love that. But um, you man are doing do rags though. Look at you two. Yeah, bro. I was like, just gonna say getting yeah, the waves on swim. What you getting the waves ready for June? Yeah, not even just protecting my hair in it. Just got to look after it. You know, can't take no chances. Right. Now I'm I'm post thirty now in it, so I got to look after it. <laughs> Don't know how long I'm gonna have this hairline. Like, I'm a big man, I mean? but I ain't thirty. Yeah, Bro, you can't I'm even sing that bar I'm anymore. Yeah, I can't. I've got to retire that bar. But um, <laughs> change it to forty, like Jammer did, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah now I've got to um, I've got to look after the. The dome now, innit? Can't take the time. You don't look a day older than 29, bro. Nah. Yeah, bro, yeah thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, anyway, man. anyway. Nah, um, how, how are you? How are you? Because I know you Oh, get, yeah. I'm actually... Yeah, Bilal. We always forget this. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually quite enjoying being asked how I am these days. No, I'm, I'm calm. I've just been on a good two-hour walk this morning with my son around the park, oh. which is really cool. But one of the things that I've definitely noticed, and I tweeted about this, is that saw, as a yeah. man, the way that you get stopped and everyone is so appreciative and nice to you because you're a guy pushing a pram mm. is super interesting. It's something mm. I've never needed to experience before. And it's a dynamic that I've never seen women pushing a pram around ever have. Mm. Um, or not something that any woman I know talks about happening to them. And this morning, I was stopped four times by older women to congratulate me 
for taking my own son for a walk. Mad. It's just really telling, man. But um, mm. yeah, it's just giving me a lot to think about. But no, I'm good, man. I'm really enjoying life at the moment and all of that. So that's calm. But anyway, anyway, we're not here to really talk about us. We've got a very special guest in the house who, as you know, everyone listening is wearing a blue do-rag. But other than that, you don't know anything else about him. This is someone who is very special to me. I met him a very, very long time ago. Now, now we talk about our age. Um, but I've seen him grow into su- such a powerful and incredible force in the world for good. At the moment, and I say at the moment because who knows what's going to happen. At the moment, he is a release in a book so the book is coming out very very soon he's an author a podcast host and he goes by the name of alex holmes so alex over to you thank you for joining us um give our guests a little introduction to who you are what you do just want to say thank you um so much for having me here guys it's a pleasure it's a pleasure it's a pleasure yes i'm wearing a blue do-rag um people know that i've got seven coloured do-rags and they always <laughs> represent different moods <laughs> um if i shown up in the black do-rag you would know what you would know what time it was yeah um yeah as you said i'm alex and um yeah podcast host my um, host time to talk with alex holmes and um i am a i want to say i'm a coach i'm an emotional resilience coach so i work a lot with men on emotional resilience so that's looking at shame vulnerability um and how we deal with those things to become more emotionally mature more connected um allow us to recover from all of those things that cause us to be emotionally immature and disconnected um and pretty much how we pull ourselves together and build ourselves up to allow us to show up for ourselves for the people that love us for and um you know i'm really passionate about working with men on how to kind of create a world that is safe for women and children and and i believe it just starts with uh with men at this stage because um you know a lot of the stuff we've been seeing in a few weeks um, over the past few weeks it's just it's just telling um and there's loads of things to kind of um recover and challenge with regards to all of that um even what you've just said below about being stopped by, by walking your own child um the the, the cookies and the and the crumbs mm. we get given mm. praise for it's so like it's just bizarre to me sometimes but um yeah i'm i'm literally just out here doing what i do just building upon building on from building and um yeah i'm just happy to to be finally chatting about my book um it's been i started writing it in at the beginning of the of last year january took nine months to give birth to this hugely problematic child and now <laughs> i'm uh, and now i'm here talking about it and it's actually super exciting to kind of see what people are what people think of it and um just the conversations that will come from it really yeah love that man so two questions off the bat before we dive into your book firstly you said you have seven different colored do-rags right yes i do and the blue one what mood does that mean that you're in for us today? Rep- it represents calm, communication, nice. and feeling good. It's a Sunday. I tend to rock the blue do-rag on a Sunday. When I just arrive downstairs, it's um, it, it, it's a nice feeling. <laughs> we go like, oh, yeah, blue, blue, okay. so we got blue today. Um, there's purple, which is um, feeling myself. Purple. Okay. Um, yeah. Regal, 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 like Prince. I was to arrive on this on the screen with the with the purple one. What now? Let me just let me not do that. Um, there's a 
there's a really, there's a yellow one and I rarely wear that, but when I do wear that, you know the complexion of like yellow and dark skin? It just mm-hmm. like, and then you, and then I'll be, you'd see all the selfies on, on Instagram. You'd see them just kind of like me connecting. You need to um, plug your Insta at the end of this. Don't forget, yeah, yeah, man. I will be, I will be. But yeah, <laughs> man. Um, yeah, it's just various things. And black is just when I'm just in the very like neutral um, kind of just anything could happen. <laughs> ready for anything you know that one's um, down the for that like air forces parcel. you know when the person's knocking your door a parcel forces. you open it in the black do-rag it's like what do you like I actually <laughs> love that he's got mood do-rags you know? that's, <laughs> that's like, a new concept like, I love do-rags man they're just so <laughs> instrumental to the culture and like you know what I mean like, um, the next stage is bonnets but that's a uh, that's the next thing. For, you know, for <laughs> that's no, that can be embraced, man. You see, I'm absolutely embracing that, man. So that, that, that um, can be embraced, man. Yeah, man. But yeah, yeah. Like, I love that. And my second question was, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's not really. You said on an episode of your podcast, I was listening to just this morning, that you are a huge fan of Sterling K. Brown. I am. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Tell us why. I'm just really curious to know um, why. I like the guys. Why is why is why do you have yeah. to ask? It's, he's a great no, guy. No, there's nothing wrong with him. I just want to know, like, <laughs> like, like why. why. Um, Sterling K. Brown. I think that he, like the characters that he plays and what he chooses, and even just in his general everyday life, it really taps into a personality type that I feel that I have <laughs> very much. Um, I am a huge fan of This Is Us. And um, mm. and he's been in other other things, but I watch um, This Is Us, and I just see myself whenever I watch that. Whenever Do you I know watch what I was it, gonna I say? A, a, a dark skin man who loves his plants. You kind of remind <laughs> me of him, you know. I can't lie. Like, yeah. you have a very similar, um, like a very similar tone of voice when you speak. Like if he see, was yeah. British, I reckon, yeah. This is why I asked it that because when I, whenever I watch This Is Us and I okay. see Randall, yeah, I always yeah. think about mm. Alex. Yeah. And then it's, yeah. like when I heard that this morning, I was like, no way, he actually likes him. Everyone says this. And I was so annoyed because last, I mean, 2019, there was the opportunity to interview him for the podcast. Oh. And oh, I was wow. like, no. And I missed it. And I was so annoyed. Oh, wow. like, you know what? Everything in its time. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's my unofficial godparent. He doesn't know this yet. <laughs> he might play you in a biopic one day, you know. Yeah, he might play me in a biopic one day. <laughs> Alex, are you are you um, a are you, are you a plant daddy? I'm you a, a plant, plant father. I'm, I've got. I can't even show you, but like, I don't know if you watched the latest episode of This Is Us. Yeah, but um, I have Seneca. Ah, oh, nice. I got my Aww. jade plant. Um, I've got several plants just around the room. My aloe vera, my Chinese evergreen. Look after them, man. Good aloe for the soul. Vera. No. <laughs> good, <laughs> good for the soul. But yeah, man. Um, I, I, with plants, it was one of those things. I was like, if you are, when it came to lockdown, um, it just felt good to look after something that mm. I wasn't human mm. <laughs> and that could actually grow and kind of benefit from from your love. Water yeah. it, put it in the sunlight, give it like love, that. talk to it sometimes. <laughs> you know I really I mean? tried. I really tried that. I, I've I've lost one. I lost my biggest plant, which I'm really upset oh, about. He, he died. You know what, Do you know what? Huh? No, I was going to say before, before I left to come to before I left the UK, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my mum was just getting in loads of plants from like different places. So when I left, she has about fifty plants in the living room, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "What is this for?" She's like, "Well, can't be a full time mummy anymore. So I'm oh, plant mummy now, oh, oh, mummy." So 
Yeah, so I'm oh, going to get man. a plant when I, I head back, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can't just stay in spoons the whole time you're back, bro. Go see your mum give her a plant. <laughs> but anyway... I'll, I'll see my mum a little bit. <laughs> yeah. you know. Anyway, um, Alex, let's get to the book, man. So your oh, book yeah, yeah. is called Time to Talk, and it's mm. on love, belonging, and connection. It is. Um, firstly, love, belonging, and connection. Why are those three themes for you? You know what's so funny? Like, it, this is, it, there's... Those three, I mean, after several um, publication and publishing conversations, because um, that was not how I pitched it, but um, when I was looking at the kind of the three pillars of well-being that I tend to work around when it comes to whether it be my Instagram posts or the kind of coaching I do, the conversations I have on my podcast, they would they they stemmed between what we understand love to be whether that be romantic, platonic, or just um, general social love or understanding of like what 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 that meant, um, and then the belonging about kind of where we place ourselves in this world as men, um, as black men, um, and how we connect with one another and ourselves. And you know, I, I was having a load of conversations in the in the in the run up to the book and. It was. I was hearing a lot of men are disconnected from themselves. Men are disconnected from their partners. Men are disconnected from their emotions. Men are disconnected, disconnected, disconnected. And I was like, "What do men actually think about connection?" Mm. <laughs> so um, it just became a. It just. It just. You know. It just became a nice three words to put together. But they work because um, without any one of those three in a in a sort of circle, um, you can't really show up and 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 be the best person that you that you, you need to be, you know? Um, we need to be able to connect with ourselves. We need to be able to understand what belonging is and and figure that out. And um, we need to really get to grips with, with love. And when I say love, I mean the vast spectrum of emotion that mm. comes with um, being human and being a man as well, um, you know? So yeah, that's where, that's kind of where I, I started. Um, yeah, so hopefully that kind of mm. plays out well in the book. Um, whoever's read it, love. Yeah, that. I, I, I definitely gave it. It was, it was a really good read, by the way. And I was saying, I think amongst those three elements, I think it was the, like the love part. We can, I mean, we'll talk about the chapters at the end. I think it was obviously where the love kind of fit in, i.e., right at the end. <laughs> um, but the, and the belonging part was throughout, but it was just the, the, I guess, the connection element of it that was kind of prevalent throughout the book. Mm. Um, and I just want to ask why that was. I mean, you, you can you said you had like loads of conversations, but there was always a constant part of the book. And obviously, you know, we've we've had the privilege of reading it before. It's actually you know out to the general public, so I won't divulge too much. But there was always a bit where it was either about returning to connection, um, you know, or on reflection. It was always about bringing it back to the connection part mm. um, more than anything else, even though, of course, there were two central chapters about love and then belonging. So what was the kind of emphasis of bringing the idea of, <coughs> excuse me, being connected throughout the whole book? Well, I'm a pretty grounded person. Um, <laughs> if when I think that, I mean, I think it was kind of my own prejudice <laughs> as to kind of uh, the idea of what love is and um, just kind of, I didn't want it to be a thing where it was just this uh, this kind of wishy-washy idea of stuff. Whenever men talk about love, it's always just like, there's this kind of weird discomfort 
that comes mm. on. It's like I was gonna say, do men do men talk about love that much? Like that's the it's thing. mean they do. I remember being in conversation, um, and I used to, and I'm big on like I'm big on love. I'm big on all the. I'm big on grief, <laughs> which is very which sounds very morbid and weird, but grief. Wait, um, what's, your, what's your background quickly? <laughs> my, my background. Yeah, yeah. You know this. You should know this. Jamaican. Yeah. I've, Okay, yeah, yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. just double check, yeah, yeah, okay. But, um, it's like, I'm big on grief, and, because, you know, when you, when you, when you grieve, like, I just, I always look to it as, you know, a, a, the deep, the, one of the biggest heartbreaks that you ever experience, and, like, you know, and it's so unexpected mm. that, that it happened. Um, and love is always trying mm. to put up this kind of wishy-washy thing, so I always kind of bring it back to connection, because it's like, well, when we when we start to ground ourselves and we give ourselves a platform to stand on firmly, you know, you can you can when you're reading and you're kind of trying to relate to a story and stuff, your mind goes in all these different kind of ways. And I know for me mm. personally, when I'm reading a chapter and I'm really in it and I'm like, oh my god, and then I get to the end and it kind of brings it back, you start to kind of really reflect on what what was put in there, what was put in the chapter mm. and what was put in and what was said and. Um, I always wanted to kind of bring it back to to the to the main topic, rather than it letting it just kind of run away with itself, which it, mm. which, it which it had the potential of doing without the help of my editor. Mm. But um, without it running away from itself, um, mm. I always thought it would be keen to bring it back to connection and really get people to mm. understand and think about what it what it really feels like to to just reflect on what is being said and really. Mm-hmm. Um, come into a self-assessment or self-evaluation as mm-hmm. to kind of like, all right, where, so where am I on this? Mm-hmm. And this particular thing, there's no um, prescription in the, mm-hmm. in the book. It's pretty much like just understanding where you, where you're at mm-hmm. and appreciating where you're at and then where you're going to, where you want to go and where, and where you're coming from. And that's pretty much what the book is positing. Right. Um, but why did you ask me what my background was? No, because um, you mentioned you're big on grief, and I was thinking, is he half <laughs> Bajan as well, like me? Because Bajans love, I mean, they do the whole funeral thing in a big way. So I was just thinking, yeah. oh, it might be half Bajan too. But um, I, was, I, I sat, I sat in grief quite a bit with the, um, with the book because mm. my, my nan passed away mm. twenty at the end of twenty nineteen. Okay. I started writing it at the beginning of twenty twenty. Sure, so sure. I was very like. I was deep in the vulnerability chapter, which is, yeah. I think it's chapter mm. four, but I was deep in the vulnerability chapter at that time. But, mm. um, and then obviously we have the pandemic, which then talks about yeah. um, global grief and kind mm. of collective grief. No one can go out, no one can date, no one can, well, people can, but you know what I mean? But people can, no one can live their lives in the way and they feel like a lot of it is lost. Mm. Um, so it's really figuring out what grief, what grief looked like and what grief was. Um, yeah. and how we communicate that mm. and it's just generally how we communicate these emotions to people mm. when we start asking how are we doing and people say good and then I'm like but it's not really an answer like so many people have been I've met I've even messaged people even like, even been like to an extent I've been like how are you doing and, I'm, and all I mean is I'm okay I'm like well that doesn't tell me anything mm. first mm. and foremost um, I'm not going to push you I'm just letting you know I don't buy it. <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah, it's just about having those deeper connected conversations and, and kind of understanding that it's not about weakness. Um, right. It actually shows you how strong you actually are, which is why I work with the whole resilience side of things mm-hmm. um, and generally just kind of push for that. 
You love that. Oh, on the word resilience, actually, mm. um, I wanted to talk to you a little. Well, I wanted to talk a bit about about this word itself because often, um, particularly when I hear the word resilient in spaces of organisational context, so people at work being told to be resilient, or mm. children at school being told to be resilient, a lot of the time that's like something to do with putting up with stuff or not crying or not showing emotion or you know just enduring something that's a bit difficult but you talk a lot about emotional resilience as something a little bit different um as like something a bit more compassionate do you want to just just for the sake of our listeners really just tell us a bit more about what emotional resilience is Um, and why we need it alex on that as well i think on that point i'm one of the there are a lot of touching um stories that you bring and we, we'll talk about some of them um but on the point of resilience you you talk about when you're doing long division as a kid oh, yeah. um and please talk a bit about that because i read that and i was like oh my god like wow and then you you then talk about um the the example of the kid that's that's crying because he can't break the block in karate and he, mm. he's crying and then all of a sudden he gets the right guidance um and and kind of that's that's more of a holistic approach to um, resilience, mm. which I, I, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. So please talk talk about that those uh, those examples a bit more in the context of what Blau's asked. Okay, um, so mention of resilience for me is the hmm, it's the ability to be compassionate to yourself and um, and understand vulnerability to a point that you can adapt and deal with stressful situations around around life's stressful situations right um in research for the book when i was writing it i was looking at a lot around divorced men and um, the fact that once they end up being divorced um they tend to not have uh, strong enough social circles to support them mm. and in that you know in in that space a lot of men end up going through addiction and um, other forms of abuse, um, substance abuse and whatnot, because their whole identity has shifted and changed. They've lost their family. They've lost their identity as a husband. They've lost their children. You know what I mean? They, they're restricted viewing like nine times out of 10. That's kind of how it pans out. And um, it costs a lot of money to get divorced too. Um, and that's just it on a pragmatic level. But um, so I was looking at that and I started thinking about like, how do we become more adept to having these strong more connected friendships where we can that allow us to be vulnerable and allow us to um not strictly go through a point of like consistently blaming other people and then in a way blaming ourselves for certain things but really trying to own and accept what has happened and you know kind of ease the process in going through a real tough emotional moment and that, that that's just not a situation like divorce but again it's a it's a situation of losing somebody um losing jobs lose um you know the, the the shame of a relationship ending or um you know losing money or you know loads of different things that we mm. that we end up doing that we don't really necessarily like to speak about um because we feel like we should have everything up to a standard or mm. there is something that we need to meet and be um of an elite standard for um so there's that but in the context of what you asked tom with regards to you know the long division story and the 
the the karate block story so the long division story was a kind of was a was a was quite a telling bit in just kind of understanding that I like I was a very emotional child but I felt like I couldn't do something and the only way that I could express that was was crying and I remember it so viscerally um, and I remember my teacher looking at me dead in my eye and just being like an awful <laughs> awful representation of what I expected the teacher to be <laughs> and um, but I managed to get it done but also what that did to me is it felt I felt like I couldn't ask for help mm-hmm. there on after mm-hmm. and that then set a pattern for me already um, and I became somebody who pushed that kind of that feeling of not being able to do something because I will be in, I will be a be embarrassed in front of a group of people the b um, if I can't find that something I have to go and do it because to to avoid being shamed like that ever again and to nobody will look at my tears as anything as something to kind of support me or guide me through to figure out how to kind of get past that problem. Mm. Um, and the reflection was the karate situation. Mm. He mm. couldn't, he felt he couldn't do it and he broke down and mm. there was nobody there to do that for me. Mm. And I feel like the story is very similar for a lot of men. Um, a lot of boys growing up, it might not have been the same for a lot of people and everybody's story is different, but I'm, um, you know, to actually have somebody come down to your level, tell you what you're feeling is okay, and then say, uh, right, now <laughs> we move, let's let's do it. Why are you crying? Understand why you're doing that. Understand mm-hmm. why the feelings happen. Understand that I, as a person of authority, cry too. Mm-hmm. So it's normal what's happening here. Now that gives you the strength and the confidence to then do the next thing. And then you pass that down to the next boy or the next line or you know what I mean so mm. when you are sitting down with your friend who is divorced or grieving the loss of somebody or in a breakup or lost their job or doing all that stuff you can sit down and have that conversation with them mm. and actually talk to them about it because you know how to relate more times out of 10 a lot of guys come together and they don't know how to do that they just want to fix somebody yeah. and it's never and it's like sometimes just being there is the most important thing that you need Hold space yeah. for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about this space that is held, but also this space that is needed. Because, you know, like, so clear in your book and also so clear throughout everything that you've said, even today, that there's a lot that prevents men from doing that for themselves or mm-hmm. for doing that with each other or with their loved ones or whoever they might be close with. Um, How can men in your opinion, begin to build those spaces to be vulnerable? Well, what's needed to do that? Somebody asked me this the other day and I just, and I was like, I just, it's it's a tricky one, but it's a very simple answer. The answer is talk. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the context is more like, when we look at the mental health, the mental health data for men and women, um, and I feel like it's from what I remember reading, it was um, a lot of more women suffer from mental health issues, but a lot, but they seek help. Mm. And a lot more men don't necessarily suffer from it as much as women, but they don't seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, and in them not seeking help, 
is kind of directly correlated with the rise in suicide rates across the country and mm-hmm. between the ages of was it 35 and 55 around that age mm-hmm. because um they don't seek help and we've not been socialized to be able to seek help so i guess the answer is really just about just about doing and doing the work and learning mm-hmm. as well um and you know a lot of my stuff is about being brave um mm. being courageous and it's not necessarily like you know running into a burning building and then and, and dragging and dragging out the cat and the, and the family and everything moment. but it's about being able to just kind of really take the time to own what is what is happening internally and then really kind of come out and speak to the situation mm-hmm. um in a way and you know and about being able to communicate that and unfortunately a lot of men don't have the language yeah. to be able to do that because we've not been conditioned to do so like the, the language hasn't come to us clearer yeah um because we've come it's, we've come to a lot of the language in these conversations later mm. so we are literally on a back, on a on a back pedal when it comes to emotional intelligence and awareness mm. I was, um, yeah i was just going to ask off um off the back of that last point um do you feel as though um in general when we when we talk about um mental health uh, and well-being um mm. and when the discussions of centers around men you mentioned how you know we don't really have um the the new the know-how and the vocabulary to sort of deal with what we need to deal with um one thing i sort of have i don't know just experienced sort of anecdotally is that um very often when we do talk about men's mental health and um you know the issues that we have it's it's almost as if um the the understanding of mental health hasn't quite kind of reached the point of enabling men to have like the honest conversations so it's like because men traditionally have not really we've not really been encouraged to um confront um our well-being and our mental health in in a in a healthy and holistic way um whenever the dis- the discussion takes place it's like um we don't really understand how for example we don't really understand um how men deal with certain things so it's like um like when when we ask oh you know like why why do men do this and why do men do that um i wonder is is it like we just don't really we haven't got gotten to a place yet where when we talk about mental health it kind of like we have like a kind of tool book to just kind of discuss how men deal with things am i making sense or is it just kind of feels a bit no no you make sense and in fact alex that there is a part of the book when you you talk about um grief and you question the kind of whether there is you question why there is a masculine and, and feminine approach to grief Mm. Um, and yes, there are neurological differences between men and women, but that doesn't necessarily need to be a different approach to the way we handle the grief process. Mm. And you talk about that and we'll, we'll talk about grief in a little bit because it's obviously a central tenet mm. of the book, but mm. I think that's where Patrick come, Patrick's coming from is the fact that for some reason, it just seems to be a different way in teaching. We seem to have, have a, we have learned, um, a different approach to dealing with different things, you know? So yeah um 
the conversation so one of my podcast episodes I had a conversation with um with Governor B about grief and masculinity and what that and what that looks like um and even prior to that of course with writing the book I was looking at how men deal, deal with grief and the men in my family dealt with it um obviously it was so recent and fresh as well um I think what comes up a lot is the fact that we don't feel allowed to do a lot of these things. We don't feel allowed to have a lot of these conversations. We don't feel allowed to actually actually feel these feelings. I shouldn't be feeling this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be. Because they're trying to uphold uphold a standard that is that has been kind of set out set out for us. That it's just a, so unattainable that it just doesn't, it's not inclusive, it doesn't fit um, the large percentage or model of m- men that are around today. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the tools are kind of there, but they're kind of like, they're, they're there, but they're not they're not useful for us. We need to create these, mm-hmm. these spaces and these conversations because everything is contextual and intersectional, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the way black men deal with grief is going to be so different to the way English men deal with grief, right? Mm. You know, because mm. it's like we've got, we're dealing with it on a, you know, as a, on a guy of Jamaican background, it's the, it's the nine night stuff. It's the figuring out the, the deep emotional impact of the family, what that looks like. Um, in other people's contexts, it's the men leading the way with regards to funeral um, organizations or, you know, what's going on with the family after that, taking control in that way. There's so many different, um, there's so many different facets of things culturally that, um, that are at stake and at play here as well. Um, so the conversations need to be had in order for people to then feel like it's okay to be uh, like, you know, just to normalize conversations around it mm. and um, things of that nature. But mm. Because just the just to clarify, like the reason I ask mm. is because um when I have sort of um discussed sort of like things that I've sort of struggled with, like mental health and and um just like sort of general yeah, just my general sort of well being, um whether it's like with a therapist or somebody that I've like confided in, mm. I feel like um well first of all um the conversations that I have pertaining to these things very often aren't actually with other men, so like my therapist. A woman and mm. very often when I do confide like I do confide in 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 other women as well um but like I try to sort of be as honest as I can about what it is that I'm feeling and what it is that I'm going through um but I feel like um when so like the tools that we have to kind of like address like mental health issues there's kind of like like you mentioned like mm. those tools haven't quite yet been sort of tailored to like what men I guess like modern men, as, as sort of cringy as that sound, go through it. It's kind of like, um, because um, sort of the way that mental health is approached and it, it's like, it's something that men are sort of still new to. It's like, we don't have, like when I talk about like what I've gone through and, and, and um, how I've reacted to it, it's like, oh, but why have you done that? You know, that's that's sort of unhealthy or that's wrong. And it's like, well, for example, like going through grief um, and not being able to sort of like, um, or not like not even not being able to cry, but like just not having cried, you know? And it's like, um, it's not because um, I've decided, oh, I don't want to cry or, you know, crying is weak. It's just like, it's just not coming. Do you know what I mean? Um, but like, I, I feel like very often when you talk about stuff like that, it's like, well, 
obviously it's because you don't feel okay to cry. And maybe that is true, but I feel like it's kind of this thing of, you know, you need to just kind of just cry, you know, that's, and it's like, well, I, I can't really like, as much yeah. as I would love, I would love to, you know, I'd, I really would, but it's just it's not like, coming. And um, it's like, it's like, show me that you have emotion. Cry now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, um, um, I hate you, you know, I, I would, I would really love to, but it's just, bro, it's not coming. Like, and and, I, and that's just like one example. I think just in general, it's like there's a way that um we talk about mental health, and it's like, um, it's it's talked about in a very universal way, like all of these things you know, um, it, it should, like this has been established as health, health, a healthy approach to your to your mental well-being. Uh, and if you're not doing it this way, then, you know, you need to, you need to decolonize yourself as a man and stuff like that. And like, obviously I, I, I get that, like that we have to decolonize a lot of our thinking, but then at the same time, it's like, there are certain things that we've been socialized to, to, to behave like, and, and, um, and, and that's just not gonna, that's not just gonna fall off um, like overnight. And in that period where we are trying to work through that, what do we do in that period? Do you know what I mean? What do we do in that interim stage, you know? I guess it's, um, it's one of those things where you lead by example, I suppose. Mm. Um, you create the safe space for it to happen, regardless of whether it happens or not. Mm. Um, and I host a few men's groups and um, and it's like the kind of stuff I see. I'm like, we we need a lot of these conversations. I mean, yeah. I was I've I've done I did a writing um, kind of group um, facilitation once, and um, there was like there was all women, and then there's one guy in there, and then at the end I got everybody to kind of put like kind of just to kind of say what they've kind of done um, because it was a deep emotional work that I was doing there, and the guy was like in bits mm. and I know he felt comfortable to do that because it was the women there mm. but mm. that's one example but then I've been in men's groups where men are literally just just breaking mm. yeah literally just breaking and that only works because the, because the men in the group are facilitating that space sure. to make sure that it's safe yeah and until that and when that happens like you know, it's it's a it's a really telling to the kind of place that we get to when and how mature you are, or when you get to um, when you start kind of being open to seeing that. Like, mm. I'm the kind of person if I see somebody crying, I'm crying with them, <laughs> sort of thing. I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when it came to, for example, like again, I'm just going back to this, but my when my nan passed away, I was the one bawling like early, like mm. in the hospital mm. I was born in, in the in the hallway, I was doing all sorts of mm. dramatics and then in the church, whatever. But but also when it came to like speaking and stuff, when it came to doing all that, mm. I knew how to how to navigate those tears and those emotions as well. Mm. And really mm. listen to it as well as being able to then support family members who we're a complete mess like after mm. just you know after after holding up holding holding it for so long and then it just mm. got to a point where they just crumbled like to the point where I cried and I'd just be like and you know I'll kind of just kind of get myself together after a while I'll just let it all come out mm. and you know but there's people there that would drop or really just not know how to how to handle um mm. having that kind of level of emotion and um mm. and, and stuff but then there's also people that that didn't cry, mm. 
Um, but they, and but that but that also had a lot more to do with the relationship they had with the person as well. So it varies. It just mm. means, but for me, it's all about having the conversation and be really open to having that that chat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what can, about? Can um, so I was just going to ask, what about kind of? Because I'm thinking about what you said, what Patrick said, and, and I'm taken to a point in the book where you're talking about. Um, you were talking to someone who hosts um, closed men uh, group groups, like mm -hmm. the, the the closed men groups, so kind mm -hmm. of groups to discuss things, but it's within the closed group, so just with a number of men and exclusively in that group, so they can keep a conversation going. And one of the most interesting quotes, I think, from the person you were talking to is, you know, during these these closed groups, we don't go in for the kill, um, i.e., we we try and challenge, but we don't try and aggressively challenge someone the way they're feeling or what they're doing. And I think one of potentially one of the issues is is the fact that sometimes the often the, the reason why I think men can often be um, hesitant in trying to I guess either create a, a, a space to discuss is that kind of fear that other men will go in for the kill yeah. and will challenge them um, because that 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 I read that quote and I was like that kind of struck out to me I was like I've never thought about that in a space where someone says we don't go in for the kill with each other I'm like and that kind of so it means that it's there. It means the fact that that quote has come out means that it's probably happened before in kind of more the early groups. And I'm like, so someone has tried to go in for the kill and literally tried to break someone down, which is basically the opposite of what you're trying to do mm. in these kind of spaces. Because mm -hmm. I was like, huh, go in for the kill during this kind of... So that was, the, you know, that was a quote that struck me. So I guess that's probably one of the reasons why men are, are, are kind of less willing to... That fear, I guess, you know? Well, around the time that Candice Owens was was kind of commenting on Harry Styles' dress or dress sense or whatever she was deciding to do with herself. Um, you know, hey-ho, people need the money. But she, when, when I was looking into masculinity quite a bit and I was just looking at it and I was thinking, and I was reading up a lot, um, and men police men a lot more than mm -hmm. any anybody. Mm -hmm. Men are policed a lot by men. Um, mm. So it's natural that when men enter into a space with one another, there is a posturing mm -hmm. and there is a presentation that needs to be upheld. Everybody's looking, you've seen it when we've spent, everyone's talked about men in, and men in a room and everybody's looking for the alpha. There's always this, there's always like, all right, so who's going to take lead? Who's going to do this? And you know what I mean? There's all of that stuff. And um, when they start looking at the psychology of it all, um, going in for the kill, it's the idea of wanting to fix, wanting to fix it. Mm. Again, it's just, the the reading the room is just not it's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes you don't have to go in and fix it. Sometimes people just want yeah. the ability to express. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And you actually talk about the kind of you make a brief mention of um, kind of the alpha in the room. You talk about this conversation mm. that you have with a group of about five six people, mm -hmm. and the alpha male ends up talking about sexuality and views on that and, and how um, uncomfortable you were at the time to speak on it and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of what happened from there. So you make, you, you nod to it and kind of, I think that brings on a, another point as well is that sometimes I think for conversations in our space to progress, we must have to leave the egos at the door, I think. Mm -hmm. And we have to be as open, you have to try and be open-minded, you know, and, and you also make another point in the book, which is sometimes it's, not just it's not about talking it's about being there it's not thinking about what we need to say next to somebody it's about actually just being there and allowing someone to 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 speak so yeah mm. 
Unreal. Yeah, some, just something I'm thinking about, and it's not really a question, it's more of a thought, but who knows, maybe a question will come out of my mouth. Um, what Patrick was talking to before about like how often men, particularly men in heterosexual relationships, will rely on the women that they're with um, to be mm. their therapy or to be their emotional support. To be their and Yeah, yeah. And even, <laughs> yeah. even when men might seek therapy will potentially prefer to have a woman as their therapist. And just that, on record, I, mean, I, I didn't ask for I didn't ask for a woman, by the way. That was a sport. No, but <laughs> when you said it, it was really <laughs> triggering for, well, not triggering, it was really like eye-opening for me because I was like, I did that. I genuinely went out of my way. Did you ask for a female have, therapist? Well, I searched for personally. Oh. And now I'm thinking, why did I do that, right? Mm. And it's making me think a lot. But I looked particularly for a black woman to be my therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting now thinking about, well, why do men do that? Why do men rely on women? And, you know, we talked a lot there about that, the ego mm. that goes on between men with each other. But I'm just, I guess I'm a bit curious to hear sort of everyone's opinion. Why do men need other men to have vulnerable spaces with? Like, I agree that we should, but mm. why do we need it? Because it's our job, it's our work to be done, to be honest. Like, yeah. We've, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do as men. And I like, I remember having this conversation with um with a friend, actually, in, in a group chat. I think he was in that group chat, Bill, as well. And it's just like... Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, Tom was there. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and, like, I love the guy that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. Um, and... Yeah, like there's no shade in this at all. But um, I remember the sort of discussion came up with like sort of, you know, what can we as men do? Um, but this this question was like sort of like asked like to the women in the group. Mm, mm. And like obviously a few of us sort of said, oh, you know. I just suddenly yeah, remembered what you were talking about. Come back. Who is it? But yeah. But um, yeah. And I just remember thinking at the time like, like mm. this is a bit cheeky you know like it's because very often like when we as men have like a blind spot to these 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 things and um, because because of our privilege what helps me to understand is how i feel that white people need to be as allies and what i expect of white people as a black person in in the fight for racial equality equity whatever else um because yeah, I get it. Like as men, we're all like we're gonna have blind spots because of our privilege. Um, so yeah. Anyway, my point is, is like yeah, we we need to do the work. Like it's 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 not hmm. it's it's not for for anybody else, whether it's the women in our lives or you know our kids. Like do you know what I mean? Like there's we yeah. need to do that work because yeah. you know we are currently um, and throughout history up until this point. Um, have been killing people like like not to be dramatic and crazy but mm, men so as we are like masculinity is destructive and um, it is our responsibility and I know obviously you know we didn't choose to be blah 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 but neither did anybody else do you know what I mean mm. so for me I think it's just like yeah it's something that we need to do the work on it's not for us to part like to, to just palm off to somebody else you know see I I, I think we have to be careful when we say things like 
I'm just going to take me half an hour to explain this, but by saying things like straight away masculinity is 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 destructive, the, I, you know, the masculinity that we have. For oh me, yeah, yeah, 100%. no, for sure. Okay, I, I I understand that, but I think I think the whole point is is oh, I don't really want to have to spend half an hour trying to explain the kind of fine line that we have to walk, but it's about mm. keeping a cap. It's it's almost like there's a balance between. I think Alex, you make men- mentioned this in the book. It's about okay. On the one hand. There's keeping yourself accountable, mm-hmm. and then on the other hand, there's 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 kind of policing kind of i.e. like George Orwell, nineteen eighty four, in that kind of approach. And there is there is a fine balance to be struck. Mm. There is a there is a positive holistic relationship that we can have with each other as men, mm, where yeah. we keep ourselves accountable, where we have good attitudes to uh, our health. You talk about that in the book, mm-hmm. of a physical sense, of a, a mental sense. Um, good relationships towards other things like food, like a more holistic thing. And I think sometimes mm. one of the problems that we have um, in masculinity is is the idea of we have to have money, status, da 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 da, da to be deemed as successful. Mm. Um, and the, the masculinity that we operate in, in, in the kind of capitalistic world that we're in means that it, it often is a zero sum game. I have to make money at your expense. Um, mm. which doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You have to you have to choose and run your own race and have a more positive, holistic approach with mm-hmm. yourself. And you have to love mm-hmm. yourself before you can love anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then it also means that we should be in a position, because I go back to the chat that you've mentioned, that we have to be in a position where we can critique ourselves. And by critique, I mean, we do it in an open way and we just, tr- you know, mm-hmm. we try to actually reason and discuss and whatever, as opposed to just point fingers and say, whatever, you know? So it's it's... Mm-hmm. It is very complicated. No, I, you know, I, but, I, def- yeah. I definitely agree with you, Tom. Like, it's, I like the fact that you use the word holistic because I think that's what it needs to be. Um, it's not mm. just a thing of, you know, we need to be better men. Obviously, we do need to be better men um, for the people that we share this planet with. But mm. it's not just... The, 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 the discussion, for me, while sort of gender is obviously very, very important, it goes beyond that, like it's and it's it's for our own well being. It's and it's it's not just about how we interact with other people, but like as you said, Tom, how we how we view ourselves and treat ourselves and how we look after ourselves as well. Um, and you know, like you said, there's a lot of work to be done because you know we are we are in this hyper capitalistic society where you know there is a very sort of um, there's a very kind of concrete sort of image of what a man in inverted commas is supposed to be you know like and and for me you know in every sense of the the word it's not that 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 concrete image isn't a isn't a healthy one um and Mm. it's and it's something that we like it's it's holistic like it's we, we need to you know change it from top to bottom how we look after ourselves how we eat how we think how we interact with other men how we interact with people that aren't men do you see what i mean it's like not just how we interact with it's not just one thing it's 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 a entire holistic yeah, thing and, that and alex i know that you talk about you know that masculinities right that there's not just one idea of um masculinity that there's obviously multiple um for for you what I guess because at the moment this is a really interesting time to be recording an episode with you. I'm just gonna say, like, in the last what two weeks, 
maybe a week um suddenly it's like the whole world has once again woken up to the glaringly obvious and suddenly there's this whole conversation about men about women about the interplay of men and women mm-hmm. in the world um firstly like, what do you think about what's going on at the moment and mm. currently and also what do you think is sort of the next step in that conversation because it seems to me at least from where I'm standing to be repetitive and it seems to me to be going over things that are not new um, yeah. so it'd be interesting to hear from you um, <clears throat> we are in the age of Aquarius everything is turn- tearing down and um, rebuilding again um, and people don't want to let go of old traditions um, and status things. Um, I guess for me, I'm just looking at it and I'm, I'm looking at the world and it's tiring and it's exhausting. Um, if it's not race, it's gender. If it's not gender, it's sexuality. If it's not sexuality, mm. it's class. <laughs> it's something. It's always something that's going um, to cause us uh, um, some kind of grievance here. But... Mm, with regards to what you said about what you, what you mentioned, what, what I said about masculinities, just to be clear, it's like um, when until masculinity starts to broaden its sense of what it means to be a man or mm-hmm. um, identif- identifying as such, then we can be very the, the masculinity can then be inclusive, and it will then heal itself from the toxicity that it has. Um, when we talk about toxic masculinity, we talk about rape culture, um, essentially, you know, um, using sex as conquest, mm-hmm. um, in a way, um, in in a lot of ways, actually, and putting putting women at risk. Um, I just literally got a text today um, about in my borough, in Brent, well, not my borough, near me, Harrow and Brent, they. Um, they they're saying that you know there's a restraint there's a man approaching young girls um of school age so here's what you need to do to tell your tell your 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 young girls going to school and what to do and how to report it i've got nieces who are who go to school in brent Mm -hmm. so that's concerning Mm -hmm. um i've seen text messages around um you know girl codes about what you should be doing when you're in a nightclub with with your friends Mm -hmm. um you know, to protect yourself from men and whatnot. To kind of stem back to your main question around, you know, why we need these groups, men need to be able to nurture men. Men need to be able to kind of, like, because we, we these behaviours that are learned are learned from, you know, the other, other men and the acceptability that is kind of put on us to mm. say, all right, yeah, you can do that. It's mm. like what they said when it was the beginning, um, when it was... Um, you know, the, at the beginning of this, this Sarah Everard case, for example, they were like, oh yeah, not all men are X, Y, and Z, but, mm-hmm. you know, did you talk, did you speak up when, when your friend was acting mm. a bit, you know, a yeah. bit dodgy? Did you speak up yeah. when um, he was going on a bit possessive or a bit, you know I mean? Did you, did you speak, that, all of these different things. Um, and, it, and it just raises that kind of awareness. Um, and this is where the nurturing mm. comes in. This is why these conversations need to happen because, mm. You know, I've had conversations and I continue to have them with men who are slightly older than me. Um, you tell me, like, you know, there were there were things they did when they were younger that they weren't really that they're not really proud of, and they could never say what what they did or nowadays because of X, Y, and Z. Um, because you know, um, it's not it's not acceptable now, and all these different things. But I'm like, it was never acceptable then. Mm. 
but mm. you were but the group I mean the, the, the groups that mm. you're in allow that to be something <laughs> that is like you know what I mean oh I want to do X, Y, and Z of how many girls or each, you know what I mean, each week or, yeah. or whatever. You know, the conversations that people have. And a lot of people in the group would be like, kind of allow that to happen or let the conversations kind of like mm. go off or you kind of don't really address it in the sense. Like it's like that chapter that I said, that I put in there, um, Tom, that you mentioned. Um, I didn't feel empowered enough to set to speak up about particular things that I didn't feel were justified or mm. you know that caused that injustice in me um and i will live with that kind of level of guilt <laughs> in a way you know mm. um but i'm kind of but i'm looking at things now and thinking all right now i need to they, mm. like if i when i do hear these things and the only way i can do that is really by empowering mm. um other men to be able to speak up when they know things are wrong I th- I th- and, I th- and, and, and this is sorry and this is yeah. and this is the stuff this is the stuff that um, when they say you know like men need to speak to each other it's not literally just about it is a, on part of it, it is about like yeah like tell me how you're feeling like let's really connect on that level but it's also mm. about tearing them and dragging them by their singlet and saying look mm. here, what is going on mm. like yeah. are you like um, this, this, is, this is the kind of behaviour that's just that's what is going on like what is this behaviour I definitely feel mm. there's like a kind of a code of silence and sort of quiet ascent um, which is which is sort of enshrined in sort of this um, problematic masculinity that we're talking about. Like, like, you know, like if there's a conversation being had and something comes up that, you know, isn't, isn't cool. It's not, it's not kosher. Um, it's like, if you speak out, it's almost as if like you are betraying sort of manhood. Yeah. Like, betraying if you speak the gender. Out, can you huh? Yeah. Betraying yeah, the whole gender. gender. Yeah, 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 like as if there is like sort of an angry sort of reprisal if you do, for example, speak in favour of um, women's rights or, you know, even if you don't necessarily challenge what's being said, the very notion of ascribing rights to, you know, a particular group, whether it's um, LGBTQ or or women or... um, just by doing that, it's like you, your, your very manhood is challenged. Like mm. I remember, mm. like um, back in the sort of early days of Twitter, when when Twitter was extremely toxic, um, was was yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 toxic now, but I feel like it's a safer space for for women, for dark skinned black women mm. particularly. But back in like back in those sort of days, like I just remember people, like when men would sort of stand up and say, "Ah, oh, do you know what? That's not cool." Like there would be men that would fly into their mentions and be like, "Like literally, like you are you, you must be gay." And it's like, obviously that's or or I'd also see people saying things like, "You're doing that purely to get women. to get girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like. That is, for me, that is, and it kind of, um, the way that I kind of sort of um, conceptualise it, it's like, it's the sort of barbershop environment where there's a lot of chat that's just flung around, flung around, and you're just there, you just want to go there and get a trim in it. You just want to get your trim and go out. Like, you've been in the barbershop for three hours already. You're not really trying to get 
get into it with the sort of homophobic barber or do you know what I mean? Whose breath stinks. Like you don't, you don't want all of that, but you, that's, you do need to, you do need to talk. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it's like, you know that you're probably the only person in the barbershop that feels that way, but it's so important that you do talk up. But it's like, it's, it's mad because you know, there's people in the barbershop, you probably know, like they know that whoever's talking is just chatting wuss. They're just chatting rubbish. The but, thing is, I know that you've had exactly this experience in a, in a barbershop. Like, bro, I know but, that's why. <laughs> but like, I'm, I, I don't know, maybe I'm- It's common. My, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's just purely it's, anecdotal. I think this, this happens it's to common. a lot of us. Yeah. Um, and especially when it's, like, you know, you hear about, um, you know, women that have gone into the barbershop with their son or whatever, or yeah. um, uh, men that are LGBTQ, well, men that are gay or non-binary or whatever, like, when if Queer. you go into that if you go into a barbershop and you're not a cishet man like you know like yeah it's very it's very it can be very space. very uncomfortable yeah. um and yeah like it's this kind of um code of silence this code of silent ascent for me it's 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 like the barbershop but just kind of a macro version of it like you just don't you don't really yeah. want to get into it because you got things to do but also maybe slightly you're a bit of a coward or maybe you just want to fit in maybe do you know what i mean so mm. It's whatever fits and it's whatever works. And obviously, again, it's about the pack mentality, isn't it? Mm. If the leader of the barbershop says, no, we don't do that. Mm, yeah, exactly. We ain't chat about that here. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Yeah, it's true. Um, but the leader, of the, if the lead, quote unquote, the leader of that group is saying X, Y, and Z and mm. everybody follows suit, then that's what it becomes. Um, and yeah. this is what I'm saying about the nurturance side mm, of things. Mm, what mm. are you... What environment are you creating? What are you? What environment are you creating? There will be young boys that come into that place mm. who don't have any particular uh, agenda other than to get their hair cut, mm. <laughs> and they may not know what is going on with themselves sexually. They may not know what's happening, but they're sitting here learning things from the pillars of the community, which are typically in the barbershop, mm. people that they have to entrust with their with their visual representation for like an hour, whatever. And they're hearing all these conversations. Mm. And, you know, when you're young, you can't make those decisions for yourself. Mm. You just you just end up then taking that to school, picking on the boy, the boy or the girls who mm. look weird or who look different to you mm. or, feel, or feel differently to you. Mm. And then these things happen. You're at school for what, five years? Mm. and then and then you know and then you grow into that adult mm. everything's and then and you've socialized yourself into that space it happens on so many different levels mm. and we need to be so mindful and cognizant of what's going on mm. like and the conversations we're having and it's as soon as you start to step out and talk about those things it's what you said patrick about being about the code of silence the alienation you start to mm. you step out of um the the protection of the of the group mm. space yeah, but you're I f- different. You're weird. You're strange. I, f- I feel like so much of this though comes back to something that's very um, primal, and that's just violence. Like violence is the thing that yeah. that um, that polices us. Um, violence because... is the only thing that men were allowed to actually express. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. so, so my question is, you know, like, um, well, first of all, the reason why I say violence polices us is because. You know, obviously the fear of speaking out is the fear of reprisal, fear of like a violent altercation or, you know, you don't really want to get into it. Um, and then what, when whatever a young boy learns in that barbershop environment, I use that term sort of metaphorically, like just in general, they will now take that 
and then use their violence to police other people. Um, whether it's other young boys like them or to actually enact violence on people that aren't, you know, a, a cishet male or whatever. Um, so my question is, how do we, as men, kind of approach that? Like, how how do we deal with this this issue of violence? Because the other thing is that, obviously, throughout history, and maybe this is just because of the dominance of men, but violence has been integral. Um, Obviously, you know, bullies have enacted violence on, on people that are, you know, um, weaker or the oppressed or whatever. But also mm. um, violence in terms of kind of meeting violence with violence, you know, standing up for yourself and, and, um, and you know, maybe, you know, changing the paradigm. Because, you know, like when, whenever we've had revolution or whenever we've had change, more time it's come about because of, you know, the oppressed standing up with like meeting violence with violence. So my question is, you know, like how, as men, like how do we, how do we approach this issue of violence and, and is there a healthy version of it? Depends on what you, depends on which, at which point you step into the space to talk about it. Mm. You can approach it. Um, I know that, you know, B got a son, the conversations that you have with him about that, um, will kind of encompass self-protection mm -hmm. but will also encompass that it wouldn't be an, it wouldn't be an act does that make any sense that you're not going to go mm. out to do so mm -hmm. um, that's that's like the early stages this is conversations we have with our kids it's conversations we have with the generations beneath us and below us and um, coming up these are the conversations we have so that's one way another way I think would just be to when we start to, because I work a lot and um, talk a lot about emotional regu emotional regulation, and a lot of men don't have the capacity <laughs> to mm -hmm. regulate. So when they're sad, they will express anger. When they're um, confident, when they're passionate or something, they'll express aggression. They're all these different things. It's just it's just a strange part of the spectrum. Mm. It's about generally understanding and having that conversation to be able to say or to be able to kind of put them in a space where they can, whenever they're in a particular environment, know how to become emotionally mature or use the emotionally mature approach to something. Because not everything needs violence to be, to for the thing to be solved, mm. you know? So defusing, a, defusing a situation, being able to kind of um, calm, calm it when when mm. when emotions are running high and all those sorts of things mm. those are the, the those are things that's but that's just like on a local level if we're talking about the the societal violence and the, and the global violence and the things that you know men in leadership have kind of enacted that's a wider form of of um masculine leadership that needs to be kind of rectified from 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 childhood yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because if you, if you're if you're if you're if boys are fighting in the playground, it's this thing. Boys will be boys. Let them fight it out. They have all their energy. Yada yada yada. No, they have unprocessed, unregulated emotions, and the <laughs> only way that they can actually express it and they're allowed to do is by being physical. That is it, really. Like on a very mm. basic thing. I know there's a there's a there are deeper psychological things that come with that. But if we're going to be playing, like. If you tell them that they can't cry when they're angry or frustrated, if you tell them that being that, you know, kind of quell their happiness or them expressing joy 
if you tell them that all of these things, you scoop out all of their emotions out of the snail shell mm. and throw that away and they're only left with anger, aggression, dominance mm. and, that, and that much. When, yeah. when Michael is saying, I don't want you to play with my football, Johnny is going to be like, well, I want to play. I don't want to be left out. And mm. then now they're fighting over this wall. Cause it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you know mm. what I'm saying? It's they, they, they end up fighting and it's just like, because they're not, cause they, they don't know how to process that. They know yeah. that what is acceptable is to be physical then. Mm. And then that just goes with them all the way through mm-hmm. that then, you know, and then, and because a lot of our workplaces are, you know, steeped in masculine culture and it's like, like dominance and confidence and aggression is glorified. I worked in journalism for five years, them newsrooms, supremely masculine spaces. Mm. You gotta be a go-getter. You gotta be, you gotta toughen up. You gotta like mm. do all of this stuff. You got to bulldoze mm. your way through to get the story. Like mm. you could do whatever it takes, you know, you know, shit on your friend if you have to like get mm. the get the results. We see it Wolf of Wall Street, we see conversations around that. Um in finance, in law. I don't know. Mm. The answers are still unclear. Mm. But for me, yeah. I just feel like I just feel like it's it's a it's a process and I can only really do what I feel is necessary in that I'm just getting meant to be real well practiced in diffusing situations and Mm. Um, understanding emotional regulation, really. Yeah, yeah. It's I think weird that you. Okay, 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 No, I think I think for me it's just really interesting because this is making me think a lot about how I respond in moments or what are my instinctive reactions almost to conversation. So, for example, um, as you said, you you've asked me and many people have asked me many times how you do, and I'll just say, yeah, I'm good, or I'm fine, or I'm okay. When actually that might not be true, or um, or I just and I it might even be a like a conscious decision in my head for me to respond that I'm okay because I don't want to get into it, or because I feel that the way that I might be met if I do say I'm not okay, if I do say whatever might actually be not worth the hassle so it's easier to therefore just say I'm okay when I'm not and I've no- yeah, and I've noticed that actually for myself, I feel quite lucky because I'm in this podcast, of this, this is one WhatsApp group and I'm also in another WhatsApp group with you and I'm in a few WhatsApp groups where I feel that these are safe spaces for me to say I'm not okay or safe spaces for me as a man with other men to talk about things mm-hmm. but then I can't do that outside of the context of those groups of men yeah. and actually with my own family or maybe with my own partner or the people who I live like in communion with day in day out um, can't therefore answer and then sometimes people might go why are you so distant when actually I feel like I've already done the emotions bit somewhere else and it's like I compartmentalise how and where I can answer those questions Mm. Um, just curious man in your opinion Alex as someone who talks a lot in this space is that a healthy thing for men like who might be in similar positions to myself um, doing things like that if it's not a healthy thing then really how do you what would you suggest as ways to move away from that if you could just repeat the last question just yeah so, so if it's not healthy for men like myself to be only processing emotions in like compartments so mm-hmm. maybe in some groups of, of other men but maybe not being able to get to that next step of doing that with their partners or the people around them um, mm. what would you suggest as mm. better 
ways to begin to do that? Uh, when it comes to decompartmentalizing, um, I guess it's a process of really looking at it and just really trying to think about what the specific context is of the situation. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, mm. if it's about knowing how to, it's about kind of knowing how to respond in the moment for a particular, mm. for a particular thing. Yeah. If you're just going to go off the rails every time something goes wrong, that doesn't, that doesn't help a situation. That doesn't make mm. sense. You know what I mean? Um, and I think compartmentalizing does help and can be, it, it, it can really generally um, help you kind of navigate the way you feel emotions. But there's also something in there in that you don't want to cut off yeah the way you respond to it because it's compartmentalizing and it's just saying i'm just not going to address that mm. <laughs> for like a long while because these things just build up it's like like storing things underneath a carpet and you mm. just kind of like it just builds up and you just end up and at some point you're gonna end up tripping over it so it all depends it all depends on context so it's kind of like there's no like i just don't think in a lot of these things there's no one trick answer that just fixes everything mm. And I think that we've yeah. spent a lot of time trying to find, trying to find that. Um, we've got to, we've got to do what works and be more collaborative in that oh. sense. So if you tell me that you that you uh, you compartment, uh, compartmentalize particular things, but are you addressing them? Mm. Mm. Right. Are you addressing yeah. them in other, Are you addressing them in a in a way that is healthy and good for you? Yeah. Or I... when you are comment, or you or are you compartmentalizing and ignoring? Yeah, because I think I think in, in an interesting way, one of the things that I've observed with myself and actually a couple of guys that I know quite mm. well is that we've got to a, like a positive stage in addressing men's mental health by being able to talk to each other about mm. that or feeling comfortable to check in with each other about that. But not at the stage where people can say to their wife or partner or mum or dad, um, how they're doing and still lying or still covering things up with those people but are addressing it and unpacking it with other men which is cool but mm. it's maybe not all the way there you know? yeah yeah. I, yeah yeah I mean just sort of There's just to speak to what you were saying Bilal like for me when um you know when you do get asked that question like how are you doing and um and you know you, you don't really want to lie but at the same time it does take a lot of emotional energy to go into to something, mm. um, it, it's something that requires investment, right? And if you, well, I'm speaking personally, when I feel like perhaps this investment isn't probably gonna get the sort of returns that I'm after, I'll probably hold off on that investment and maybe not kind of divulge all that information because it emotionally takes a lot out of you. So yeah, I don't know. I think just sort of speaking personally, the way that, um, I'm trying to sort of deal with those sort of questions and 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 those sort of um, interactions is just you know sort of saying you know I'm I'm not great but you know this is sort of what I'm sort of going through but like in a very surface level way um mm -hmm. so trying to be more honest about because I feel like very often when you sort of say oh I'm fine it's like you're lying to yourself as well um you're not the more the more you say something, the more you can almost subconsciously start to believe it. So when someone says, "Oh, you know, how are you doing? How's your week going?" and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, it's all good," you know, you you I feel like you're sort of almost consuming your own poison by just kind of 
lying to somebody else, but also it's like you're lying to yourself. Mm. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I try to sort of just be honest and be like, do you know what? You know, it's not a great week. You know, I'm under a lot of pressure or, you know, I'm worried about this thing, but, you know, I've got some sort of outlet or I'm doing something about it to kind of help, like, you know, deal with that situation. And then whoever I, who, whoever I feel comfortable talking about that with or, you know, sharing that information with in full detail and working yeah. through that with, then obviously, you know, that, that person gets the full, the full thing. Yeah, but I think it's about yeah. who you, who, who, who you ask and who you interact with. Because often, you know, someone says, how are you? Say, I'm fine. That question is not asked to genuinely ask about That's how true. are you? Because yep. if you want to ask how someone is, no, you actually say, no, no, okay. Actually, no, how are you? Because mm. for example, yeah. like, you know, you talk to someone in French, you say, oh, ça va? And they respond back saying, ça va? Mm. So someone says, how are you? You respond back saying, how are you? Which is like, I'm fine. Mm. So that's kind of one of the things. It's more the semantics of the language as right. well. Is yeah. that, yeah. you know, when you ask someone, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, how are you? It's, it's not, it's basically, like in the here and now, is there anything I can help you? Especially in a work context, are you okay? How are you? They're not asking to uh, asking yeah. about your well being. They're asking about your well being in the context of work. I think. Mm. So I think yeah. there's that kind of space where you have to open it up in a, a different way. You know what I mean? And if you're really interested, mm. you have to ask again. I think you yeah, I mean? yeah. L language is so powerful like that. I think you know, like when in in different cultures, um, I mean, I like I, I I'm a big fan of like sort of languages and like how how it works and how it kind of um reflects our culture um i think when people sort of say you know you're right or how are you and stuff like that really it's more about just saying it's it's an it's an empathetic thing but to a point where it's just like it's a surface level it's, it's almost like just saying you know i i acknowledge you as another human being rather than tell me about how you're doing do you know what i mean it's it's become shorthand yeah. for that it's like i acknowledge yeah. you and I'm pretty sure in, in, in other, there must be in other languages, you know, like when people greet each other, um, the, the greeting isn't how are you, but it's probably something like, I, you know, I acknowledge you, I see you as a person, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel yeah. like that's what it's come to mean in, in our, in, in, yeah, in Western like society. Yeah, you're languages. right, yeah, as your mum, she good, yeah, you know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, like I acknowledge you, know I, mean? you. I see yeah. that you have, you know, family, just, you know, I'm acknowledging yeah, that. It. But it's, it, yeah, the actual question, like, you know, how, like, tell me about what it is you're going through. Like, that is, and it, it takes I mean, more words to say that no as well, way, you know? because if, if, if someone will ask you, yeah, I'll tell you something. It's happened to me maybe, not often, but it's happened to me a couple of times, right? Someone said, how are you? I'm like, I'm all right. They said, no, 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 actually, how are you? You're going to stop because mm. you're like, well, hold on. You're, you're actually asking question. me my emotions. Mm. Like, and, and, yeah. and you have to, then you have to stop and confront your own, um, your feelings as opposed to, yeah, I'm all right, bad man, whatever, you know, you mm. can get through it, you can, but Alex, I, I wanna, I wanna bring, I wanna, I wanna read a, a, a very small or look at a sentence in the book, because I think everybody who, who, who knows you will remember this period of time um, quite well. And you mentioned it in the book, so I think it's only worth um, bringing it out. And so you say, on the 13th of May, 2018, mm. I received a direct message on Twitter uh, letting me know that I should be careful. And I won't get into the rest because we all, anyone who knows you would, would mm. understand what this is about. But you mentioned mm. it in your book. I want, you know, if, if you want and you're comfortable with, of course, to kind of talk about um, kind of what happened at the period in time. Because Patrick, you mentioned social media earlier and Alex, you're like, what, social media is still healthy? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, so please talk about that um, a little bit more, um, you know, and just the general attitudes to yeah social media and and yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah please um that was a very crazy time in life you know um for me <laughs> in particular um 
the one thing I learned from that moment was that when it comes to, I think I, I wrote it in the context of not letting other people dictate how you feel about yourself mm-hmm. right um, and when we are so and the thing about social media is that it what it does is it puts you into places, places uh, especially places like Twitter what it does it it takes your identity and your identifier and it merges them together so you then become this kind of avatar mm. for a particular cause a particular idea a particular agenda and so when you start so and it and it, and it's about accessibility as well. the The story in the book is specifically um, speaks to cancel culture, in a way, but it also speaks to kind of the un. It also speaks to how you deal with feelings of what is the word devaluation, mm-hmm. and um, and the way that and the way that we navigate it. You see people that have been online and, you know, they've been kind of called out for particular reasons or particular things. And they, you know, they staunchly kind of, you know, double down on their on their wrongness. <laughs> or they double down if they, if they feel they're right or whatever. <laughs> and I feel like it was just a conversation. It was just a, it was a weird time because I had never been in a space where I'd had my character questioned like that before. Um, and I'd never had any, and it was difficult for me to really challenge um, the perceptions I had of myself that I knew to be true, my own core values, versus the perception that my space or my idea on Twitter, for example, that's specifically what it was, um, was representing or what it was pushing. There are a lot of angry and upset people in those spaces. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you're going to catch a stray in a way. But it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't great for me. It wasn't great for me to think about the fact that, you know, people saw me in a particular way, thought that, um, that I was capable of enacting, you know, violent behaviours on people. And it wasn't, and I don't think it was, it wasn't fair to me. But what it did start for me, it was started me going through and understanding the work that I had to do mm-hmm. in order for me to really understand myself mm-hmm. because when you begin living a life for other people you begin living um, in this world and in this idea of this is just me um, I'm trying to perform I'm performing daily this is what I have this is what people expect of me this is what I'm going to do when you have to do that mm. you end up you don't you end up stop living for yourself mm and you end up living for other people. And this is kind of, and this is what leads me along the road to the whole masculine question, masculinity question, what men do. Mm-hmm. And particularly with men, a lot of men are performing what they believe people expect of them yeah. to be. Yeah. And I see it I see it with men, I see it with women. I see it with black people, I see it with like other men, like minorities. I see it a lot along the way. Um, and it just really kind of spoke to me about how how we perform and how we show up for ourselves and what that means um, in the space. And and on social media, a lot of the time, it's not it's not an easy space to it's not an easy place to really just um, 
to exist in the fullness of yourself. Mm. Does it make any sense? You yep. are showing, like, for example, platforms like Twitter, for example, only only present you with a two dimensional version mm. of who you are. Mm. Right? They don't, it doesn't acknowledge you as a person. It literally is the the ideas that you have there in 140 characters mm. and more so if you're doing threads and whatnot and on a presenting on an idea with no context no clarity no understanding of who you are where you come from what kind of background you have what kind of experiences you have your, you know all of these other things you're presenting a perception someone can look at your profile and be like well that's just the person that it is and then they can either go at you or support you mm. And I just think that that, and I think that that's not conducive for a society that is consistently adapting mm. and learning mm. and progressing and growing. Um, you feel like you have to be a spokesperson, and it just and for me, it's just like it just doesn't, it just didn't fit with my vibe. Mm. <laughs> so I just had to be like, you know what, I had to take some time out to do some deep work because because it wasn't just about Twitter it was about how I showed up for my family how I showed up for my friends it was like how I showed up for myself it's like what I was what was I presenting at work mm. it, it it opened up so many different things with regards to my whole life mm. that I had to then kind of readdress core values and boundaries and really sit back and say all right this works this doesn't work for me mm. this is what I'm going to go with and this is what I'm going to work in and make it happen so many times people were like you know putting this book out or um, writing articles for magazines and you know the podcast and stuff they're like oh why aren't you on Twitter and I'm like I just don't want to be on it yeah it does I just you know and a lot of people you know and they're like why and I'm like because I just don't want to I just don't want to be in that space yeah and that's about you. really understanding the spaces that you're in and not just being <laughs> like just just being everywhere just for the sake of it mm. I'm yeah. you know it just kind of taught me just to be very selective of where I project my energy and what that means and where you build community. Doesn't mean it's a bad space, it just means that for me it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alex. And I'm really conscious, you know, like you've given us a lot of time this oh, yeah. morning. Your book is called Time to Talk. You've given us the time to talk about this, which has been, oh man, I'm becoming such a dad. You're a dad, yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> fully. You, were, you, were like that. you were like You were like that before you were a daddy. Yeah, it's like, true, it's true. Do you know how long energy. I've been sitting here thinking of saying exactly those words? Anyway, <laughs> but I'm going to say it again because I feel like it didn't come with it. Anyway. There's um, one last question. Sorry, I got. we, we have to discuss this because we, yeah. have, we haven't covered this yet. Um, and I read the book and... The impression I got was this was quite a cathartic exercise for you, Alex. Because um, even at the back of the book, you talk about some of the books that have inspired you. And we won't get into that, but I read them and I was like, oh, okay, I can, I, I definitely, because there were some books that came up. I was like, yeah, I thought this one might come up. I thought that, mom, that, that one might come up. There were two in particular. Yeah. Um, but clearly to me, the central tenet of this book was about grief. And and you've obviously spoken about the, the loss of your, your nana a couple of times, but also other family members as well. Um, sometimes you're interacting with them, the ability to cry or not cry. Um, and, you know, I just, I want you to talk about that, I guess a little bit more, the, the theme of, of, of grief and then, um, you know, how helping, you know, did, did, you know, spending the nine months writing the book did it help you with the grief process of 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 nana in a way because mm -hmm. I, I get the impression it might have done but just just want to see where your your you know how you feel about it yeah um 
it did. Um, and it, it helped me because it, I was, it helped me move through it quite, um, quite healthy. Um, I was in therapy as well at the same time. I was speaking to people about their grief at the same time. I was dealing with the grief in my own family um, and the kind of stuff that I was doing. There was a lot of emotions happening between January. Remember, when somebody passes away, it's a lot of firsts that happen mm-hmm. when, they're not, when they're not there mm-hmm. for that first time. Mm-hmm. Remember, between my nan passed away in, in November 2019, um, we had our first Christmas, we had first Mother's Day, we had first birthdays, um, and we had all of that, all in the process of between January and September. And um, my mum had her first birthday without my nan, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff. And um, and it was hard. It was very difficult. But writing it was it kind of made it make sense for me. Helped me push through. Um, and then it helped me sh- again. And I, I do a lot of things around showing up. And it helped me show up for my, for my parents. It helped me show up for my family. It helped me... And my friends who had lost people, you know, going through, especially in the pandemic. Um, recently, I've just recently lost a cousin um, in the US um, as of last week, hmm. last weekend. Where are we now? Sorry, man. Where are we now? Sunday. Was it even last weekend? It was a, like five days ago. And um, again, that experience of me having gone through all of these things also, it doesn't it never makes it easier. I don't think things get easier. I think we just get better at dealing with them. Um, and we really, and um, yeah. So I guess it's just it's just it really did help me with the process of um, of losing somebody, but also mm. the deep emotional pull that comes with it. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. And I like my condolences as well yeah. for your family and hope everyone yeah. is, is as okay as they can be it's in okay. this time, particularly not with being able to see each other. I can imagine that's not the best. Yeah. But um, I want to just bring start bringing us to a close. And I want to firstly say a massive thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's, I feel like I've been saying to you for about three years, you should be a guest on this podcast. <laughs> and you finally, I, finally have been. I've been wondering as well. I was thinking, when is Alex <laughs> ever going to come on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. And I get it, as a podcast host, um, and you're trying to get some new, yeah. especially if you know them, you included them. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's difficult, but it has to it, it has to be right, doesn't it? Mm. All in yeah. the right time. Exactly. Yeah. I really want to thank you for joining us. Before you go, though, just two things. We started off by saying that you love Sterling K. Brown. And as we know, Randall's character um, on This Is Us, he's been on his own journey with mental health particularly over the last few episodes and the end of the last season and this one firstly what do you want to see next for him as a <laughs> character in that show and then secondly what is next for you what do i want to see next around so i host um with three of my friends we host the unofficial after show for this is us oh is can me. i come on please oh, I wanna, yeah <laughs> please i beg you um, <laughs> I, will, I, will, I, will, I will refer back to the council alright but yeah we, we do we, we do the recap after I'll send you the links after but um, we do the recap of the show um, and it's just it's just jokes because it's like you know mm. we do podcasting all the time this isn't something we just wanted to yeah. do um, 
And uh, what I want to see next for Randall is, um, you know what? I think I, I don't even know how far you are if you're caught up. Um, but I think that he's I think he's done what he needs to do. I think the next thing for him is a book <laughs> of some kind, <laughs> and um, and you know really really delving delving deep into what it means to be him at this moment because it's just it's just been a. Um, and I always question it. I was looking, and I think you got you got you man of forty. This this gives me hope, that <laughs> 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 nothing gets rectified between the age of twenty and thirty, and you don't enter thirty yeah. just knowing all things. Yeah. And, um, Good luck, Patrick, man. Nice. <laughs> I'm I'm ready for the journey, man. Do you know what? When you reach thirty, it does in in that sense it oh, does you're that feel... guy no you but I... when, you re- when you when you reach here, you understand. No, no, do you know, no it's not even that. <laughs> Back it's like, in um, my day, I feel like um. Some of the stuff that you mentioned before, Alex, about just kind of um, sort of drowning out the noise and sort of being aware of who you are and not what other people say yeah. you are. Yeah. I think once once you get, I don't know if it's being fair, but I definitely thing. feel like I'm shedding off a lot of that stuff now where like I know what I'm about or at least I'm on that journey to, to understanding myself and I'm not letting the noise yeah. kind of yeah. make me go off track. But anyway... Yeah, I was in that. Yeah, I was. I was in that process from twenty seven to now. Mm-hmm. I'm thirty. The end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's. It, I'm. It's like, I've, and I feel as if I'm in the best space mentally and spiritually that I've ever been. Mm. Um, everyone talks about twenties being the best time of your life. I'm like, twenties were the ghetto, man. Like, mm. My early twenties like, were great. So, it, Late twenties was so chaotic. Yeah. My twenties was chaotic. But like, it, it was very, very, it was a very interesting decade, I gotta mm. say. But mm. um, what's next? I don't know. Hopefully, more books. <laughs> um, and um, I'm training as a therapist um, I don't know when this is going out but I probably will be by the time it goes out um, and um, yeah I'm coaching and I'm just learning as I go I'm just taking each day as it comes and trusting the process amazing so, well thank you so much man as you, you've so already much. said you are not on Twitter but your Instagram is uh, by Alex Holmes by Alex Holmes um, and I share tidbits daily amazing um, and yeah and then my podcast um if you if anyone just, just go to alexholmes.co and everything is there newsletter like access to things just everything's there mm. um it's the, it's the easiest place to to go for for info love that and i just want to second that that's an amazing podcast to listen to mm. if anyone you, is reached the end of this episode and going what do i listen to now there's so many amazing episodes um on alex's podcast so do go and check it out from us i just want to say a massive thank you it's been great once again to be having this conversation you can always find us on the socials at o2b podcast uk on twitter and instagram or send us an email we actually really like it when we get emailed o2b podcast uk at gmail.com and we'll do our best to get back to you as soon as possible but thank you once again for listening everyone take care have a lovely day week month or year and we'll see you again the next time that you tune in take care